At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Real quick before we start the show, just wanted to let you guys know you can get the show two days early by joining our Patreon. Even for a buck, you can listen to the show two days early. Go to patreon.com slash analog talk and we got a bunch of stuff over there. Check it out and uh, yeah, enjoy the episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Analog Talk. I'm your host, Chris. I'm Tim. And today's special guest, we have Dan Rubin. Hi, Dan. Hi. Thanks for having me. So you're like yeah. a bucket list guest oh, for us, yeah. so we're oh, super yeah. excited to chat with you. But before we get into all that, can you give our listeners a background in yourself and who you are and how you got started and all that stuff? Oh, gosh. We only have an hour, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I'm only half joking with that answer. Uh, so, so yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a designer and photographer and a budding uh, film director, among other Ooh. things. Uh, and... Um, I got my start as a as a creative, I think, as a professional creative in my uh, in my mid teens as a designer, which is a lot earlier than oh, a lot oh, of people wow. would start. But I got my start as a photographer a lot later than a lot of people would start. Um, <laughs> I, I think I was I was about thirty when I finally made a connection with a camera as a creative tool. So we can dive oh, wow. into the details of that because it is that that's a fun story, but it can it can run away with itself. But so uh, essentially, I've been I've been a some sort of creative or or you know borderline artist for my entire life doing oils and watercolors when i was in my in my early teens like 12 13 years old and uh playing around with you know lego bricks earlier than that and model airplanes and things so i was always doing <laughs> something something that was creative output and that was always some sort of hybrid of of either design or engineering or art but always on that creative end and uh, and photography kind of took over it as a first as a just a hobby and a way to get away from computer screens 
Um, initially it was like this thing that I discovered and I went, Oh my gosh, like, what is this? Why have I not looked at a camera like this before? I'd had cameras before disposables or whatever. I'd never seen them as creative tools, even though I'd had, I like one of my girlfriends in my, in my late teens, early twenties, she was a fantastic, phenomenal photographer and she studied photography and yet it never occurred wow. to me to try, <laughs> to try myself, right? It was just, yeah. it was one of those things other people were good at. And mm. uh, I think a lot of people have that actually a lot of like, if, if you're, if you're never in a position to get directly encouraged to try something, to seriously try something, or if someone doesn't suggest to you, Hey, you might like this, you might enjoy mm. this. It's very easy to kind of look at it from the outside, even if you're really close to it, even if you're right outside mm. The, that window and not think that it's for you. So, uh, it, and I've always been someone who's tried to coach and teach other people to not fall into that trap or, or just to, to kind of push people past the edge. But I very rarely have people to do that for me. <laughs> and it just shows how natural a, a human behavior it is. So um, anyway, I, it, it, finding finding photography and uh, was, uh, was something that was literally life-changing. And I'm still a designer. Wow. As I said, I'm getting into filmmaking kind of slowly and, uh, and I'm self-taught in all of these things, which, uh, wow. which just means constantly studying and looking and learning and iterating. So yeah, that's, that's, that's me as much of a nutshell as I can, as I can give. <laughs> um, we can go on all the tangents you want to, Man, so that's funny. I, I, I love the, like how everything collides, like with other people's stories. I think I mm -hmm. just said this in the last episode we have, but same with me. Like I was in my 30s when I, you know, fell in love with a camera all over again and realized that because I also did design. I went to school for design mm. and, and oh, I nice. didn't, I didn't realize that before that I, I would take like other people's images and manipulate them. And then I was mm -hmm. like, Oh wait, that's like a copyright thing. You can't really do that. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of how I got into making my own photos to manipulate and do so. It's just, it's, I love how, how people's worlds collide kind of story wise. Mm -hmm. So, so you said the thirties, was this, was this during film or is this like the digital time of, of photography yeah. when you, when you broke in? Well, it was, <laughs> Digital had already become a thing by that point, but mm. uh, but it wasn't a thing for for me. You know, I, I was I was working you know, I was working a lot with photography in my design work, and a lot of the design work was digital. Uh, you know, I'd started out in print, but uh, mm. but I was an early adopter of, of digital and 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 doing work as a designer online. And so, photography was something I loved working with, and I would work with other photographers as well for cli certain clients, not just. Uh, stock photography and uh, and i love photography as an element as a visual element mm. uh, but uh, uh so i was i'd been working with photographers who were who were shooting digital uh more than shooting film i think and um but i'd never again i'd never seen them as tools so it's actually in a weird way it's a combination of of my my passion for product design for physical product design and mm. a fear fear of missing out that led me to <laughs> photography yeah. and even though i was firmly but when I discovered it, it was because I guess it was 12, about 12 years ago. Um, yeah, 2007 or eight, it would mm. have been. So 12, 13 years ago now. And um, so I'd, I would have just turned uh, 30, I think. And a couple of designers that I knew, who, prim who I knew through the work uh, that I did in the web, uh, they, had, they had bought uh, and were shooting a lot of uh, Polaroid. They bought SX-70s, the mm. wonderful, lovely, yes. original fo folding models. Oh, yeah. And I just thought I'd never seen one of those before. And, because you don't casually come across those if you're not into no. <laughs> any kind of photography at all. Right. Exactly. You, know, you might see it in a design museum somewhere, but I just, for whatever reason, I'd never seen one. And I saw this thing and I just thought they were shooting them because Polaroid had announced they were discontinuing their film. So 
Uh, and that was, yep. that happened in 2006. And then, so the film was still available. You could still buy it at a Walgreens, right? But, um, but they weren't manufacturing anymore. And so these two designers I knew had bought the cameras and were just shooting it to be able to experience it before it went away forever. Mm. And so yeah. that's where the fear of missing out came from. I saw this camera and I thought, oh my gosh, that's the, one of the most beautiful products I've ever seen. I would love to have that on my shelf. And I also want to buy a couple of packs of this film and shoot it before it goes away. And literally that's all I did. I bought two packs. I found a camera in essentially mint condition uh, on eBay. It was probably about $50. It was, uh, you know, uh, I was wow. just going to say, what was the price? <laughs> the good old days. <laughs> the good old days. Yeah, no, no one wanted these things. And, yeah. and the one I found was, uh, I'm pretty sure it came in a box and it had been sitting, it was uh, some, the woman who was selling it had found it in her mother's closet. And it had been sitting in her mother's closet for, she figured for 25, 30 years. So it had barely wow. been used. And, and I bought two packs of film and started shooting it. And I was still living in, in, uh, in Florida at that time, which is where I'm stuck thanks to the pandemic travel restrictions right now, but I've been based, <laughs> oh, yeah. been based in the UK for 10 years. And, um, uh, but anyway, so I, I was, I was living in Fort Lauderdale. I, I wasn't a photographer at all. I just like took some pictures around my uh, apartment and around the neighborhood and they were all like almost all of them were beautiful and they were the and that was the first time I'd had that kind of relationship and that with mm. an image that I'd created and and it's also tied into the immediacy of taking mm-hmm. and then only waiting a few minutes and seeing the result in a different way than than digital's immediacy where you're not actually seeing a an edited result you've got to put right. so much time yeah. in that the, uh, which as I think now in hindsight, why I'd never connected with any of the little digital cameras that I'd picked up. They were point and shoots, but I'd never really loved the results. And it, so it didn't encourage me to play more. And then suddenly I, I was shooting these Polaroids and I just loved them. And and literally my world changed immediately because my designer brain suddenly needed to reverse <laughs> engineer why this camera and these little white bordered sheets of film were making me react that way because I knew I hadn't changed. And as a designer, I was constantly uh, looking at, especially with interaction design, constantly looking at user behavior and how you can uh, how you can influence it through your design. So I knew that it was something to do with a combination of the film and the camera that had worked better for me. And so I went out and almost immediately bought a Canon uh, digital SLR, kind of an APS-C DSLR and started playing with that because I thought, ooh, maybe it's an SLR that's the difference because the mm-hmm. the SX70 is, and that was better with the fit like the Nifty 50 518, but but it still wasn't it wasn't as as good. So then I went and got a 35 mil Canon. Um, well, it was an old uh, an FTB that an ex girlfriend's oh, yeah. dad dad gave me by chance, kind of, but it was just at the right timing. So now I now I had this kind of three points of of comparison, this instant camera that didn't have a lot of control. This modern digital camera that had a lot of control, but I didn't like the results as much from. And then this camera that was slightly older than I was uh, <laughs> as a 35 mil SLR that suddenly it had fully manual controls, but I loved the results of it. And that's very early on, I realized that film was, was, was something special and that the amount of work required uh, to make a digital image feel as good as a film scan mm-hmm. or an instant image could could feel right away was something that I probably wasn't as into, <laughs> even though I threw mm-hmm. myself at digital photography for for years. When I got into shooting uh, any kind of commercial work, it was it was entirely digital because yeah. I kind of thought that's what was needed, and I was constantly iterating, buying tons of cameras um, on, on the on the film side, especially. 
my main digital camera was a 5D Mark II to begin with. So it was, I, I had good equipment and it was giving me good results, but I was spending loads of time on post. And then I got mm -hmm. into shooting the Sonys for a few years, but all throughout, I was building and building and building my experience on the film side. And um, yeah, so it's been this really weird winding road for the last 12, 13 years. And the result has been that I now almost never shoot digital. Uh, I was going to ask... <laughs> yeah, the, the last three, four years have been primarily filmed for everything. I shoot digital. Well, I, I view them as, as, as different, totally different tools. And that's, yeah. I think, one of the reasons why there are so many fights between the camps of one side or the other mm -hmm. is that they're seen as much more similar than they actually are. The, the, the similarities end at the point where, well, almost bef even before you take the picture, because so much of the creative process with film is deciding what and what film stock you're going to shoot and how you're going to shoot it, how you're going to expose right. it, whether you're going to pull or push it and understanding you're doing a lot of pre-visualization. Yeah. And so, so even before you get to taking the pictures, the process is so different that they're almost not the same thing. They just share a name <laughs> and I still use, so, I mean, I have, <laughs> I have so lots true. of things with me, right? But like I travel with my Leica Q all the time now, uh, which is, which is almost the least capable digital camera that I've owned, but <laughs> as a, as one thing that that will always easily fit in any bag, and that if I need what digital is best at, which for me is low light, mm -hmm. um, yeah. if I, if I need that, the Q does the trick. It, it it guarantees me really good images, and I can work with a 28 mil lens just fine. Like if I'm in a position where I go, crap, I really need something either right away or in the dark, that'll do it. And that's what yeah. I loved the the A7S uh, and S2 and the uh, the R and R2 for for a while, but they were just so uh, they were too much for that for being the extra just in case camera. And I mean the Q is total overkill as well, especially price wise. I mean it's a very <laughs> but but I only got it because of uh, you know another a project and it was uh, that I did and my first book uh, that I co shot and co designed um, with a friend in Japan happened to be shot while I was loaning or borrowing the the queue for um, for a month from Leica and mm. I, I took it to Japan and then I shot my book on it and I went oh crap I have to keep this because now I've made my first yeah. book with it so th very luckily Leica UK sold it to me because it was a used item I said I want this one I don't want another one I want the one yeah. that I made the book on oh, and yeah. they they did me a deal on it otherwise it's, it's it's such such overkill but the rest of me is all film for so many different reasons i mean i've got well over 50 different cameras at this point um all from from eight by ten. Oh. <laughs> yeah i know i know i know i'm, I'm way behind I've, I've i've managed to sell probably four or five over the over the last three or four years which was which was difficult to do and, uh. and i still have too many right but but that includes four by five cameras and one one eight by ten and wow uh and a bunch probably 12 different models of sx70 and slr680 because i just oh, wow. i'm addicted to those mm -hmm. so the cross section in the middle of medium format and 35 mil is actually not it's not insane. It's still way more than any human needs, but you know, uh, I'm fa I'm just, I, honestly, it, it's, I, I like to use all of them in rotation, but really when I buy a camera, it's, it's, it's for the same reason that I was attracted to the SX-70 in the first place. It's because I see some cameras design. I see the industrial right. design and I, and mm -hmm. if I get curious about it, about, okay, why did they make that decision? Why is that camera so popular? I have to, I have to, shoot it and hold it for myself as kind of a research project. Mm -hmm. And the cameras that I don't connect with during that first test roll, those I, I sell on. But the reason I have over 50 now is because I've connected with so many of them. Yeah. And yes. they're just... 
they're, you know, they're, you know, as much as I do, they're wonderful yeah. objects. So, yeah, I was having a conversation. I, I'm I'm itching to buy a new toy. So <laughs> I'm like be- between like a contacts T2 and like a Leica M4. Mm. We were having this discussion and it was like, well, the contacts could break. I'm like, I know, but it's so nice. It's like I want it more because it's a nice, <laughs> mm-hmm. solid, yeah, beautiful, you know, uh, like they're even such if I don't shoot it, I'll just have it. I know. I, I have well, I have a T2, uh, and embarrassingly, I have two T2s, one of which I'll sell. <laughs> but well, so there, there's I, there's a rule that I have um, for cameras. Name that, your and, price. No, just kidding. Well, <laughs> but there, 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 so a rule. Once I started shooting film for projects for clients, mm-hmm. I I already had a rule with digital that I because when I when I bought my 5D Mark II, I still had my original APS-C, which was an XTI, the Rebel 400, I think, or 400D, something like that. It was the Rebel XTI. Uh, as my Canon. And that always went with me on any, if there, once there started to be client shoots, the, the XTI was my backup camera. Cause uh, I, yeah. I just, I, I brought backup S, uh, CF cards back then. And I just felt it was, it was responsible to do that with, with digital anything. Um, I didn't want to be on a shoot and have my camera die and not be able to complete the work. And I've always kind of felt very much like that. I've been very serious about backups as a digital designer as well. And so once I started taking film cameras, well, I would take a film camera along initially and just shoot on a, on occasional gigs to see how I liked the results. And mm-hmm. that was very, very quickly once I started doing that. And I went, oh, I should just do this all the time because it, yeah. I, like, I like them better and it's less work. And yes. then when I started taking film cameras with me on projects, I, I applied the same rule. I had to have, uh, an, if it was something I used for client work, I had to buy a second one. And even more so almost because these were a lot of older cameras. So when they've cycled out of being uh, yeah. cameras that I use professionally, then I, I sell them on. So I used I had two Hasselblad 500 CMs, but only because I was using them for a, for a little while on client projects. And then I stopped and I was like, all right, I, there's no reason for me to have two of these. And I sold one to a friend. And so I have I have two T2s uh, now. One of them needs to be sold, honestly, because I was using <laughs> them as my, <laughs> well, I was using them as my pocket camera for incidental shots on travel uh, projects. Mm-hmm. So and and there's something I you know, I got one at, at a song years ago, probably five or six years ago, and was immediately impressed by the results. So went, okay, I have to start taking this on shoots. Yeah. And, uh, and so that was my rule. I found another one at a good deal. And between the two of them, I think I spent less than they were going for individually. So I that's how I justified wow. it as well. Uh, I'm very patient. The, no, see, the, the, that's the thing. You have to be with 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 these crazy rises and falls in pricing mm-hmm. of film cameras now because of all this 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 resurgence. Uh, it's all it's popularity, and they they get they get expensive for a while, and then something else dropping. gets. Yeah, but everything does in cycles, right? I, I was just yeah. yesterday. I was or uh, I was recommending a point and shoot thirty five mil point and shoots to a friend in in Europe. Uh, in Austria. And, uh, and I kind of recommended the the gamut. They'd been told about the T2. And I said, okay, mm-hmm. yeah, good, but they're way overpriced right now. So here, look at the Fuji class, because those are undervalued uh, by oh, comparison. Yeah. They're oh, still yeah. expensive, but they're so good. And they're so much yeah. cheaper than a lot of the others. And then the, the Fuji Tiara, those are great as well. And if you really want something that's designed well, but also takes good pictures. And then uh, he took all that information and then sent me a couple of eBay links and said, well, what about these? And he was finding T2s in Austria for for like uh, half what, what they're costing in these oh, things wow. right now. So, so maybe they're they're on a dip again. And it just shows that you none of this is, is stable. And yeah. um, it's the same with, with all of these. If you're patient enough, 
you can find a deal. And every single camera that I've purchased of the too many that I have has been for so much less than anyone thinks that it should have uh. cost because I'm not, I'm not in a hurry to spend it, to spend a lot of money. That's, that's it really. I'm, I'm, I'm a penny pincher. I, I, I know the value of things, but I don't <laughs> want to pay more than it's worth. Right. Yeah. But yeah. Anyway, I was almost like refusing to pay. Like I was like put a black, like I have $600. Who has a T2? <laughs> like, that's all I have. Because they're just like $800 up again. So, but yeah, mm. anyway. Well, that's better than the 1750 to 2500 yeah. that I saw them for six months ago. Yeah, it was, it's wild. Like, uh, I forget what I was watching. Oh, it was that, that Matt Day, Willem Verbeek uh, oh, yeah. thing that was going around. That guy at that camera store is like, I got this black tea, whatever. He's like $3,000. And I'm like, what? Oh my God. (laughs) All right. All right. I see you. But yeah, you can, you can catch them between like six and 700 if you just wait Wait. for it. Yeah. Patience is a virtue when it comes to that for sure. I, yep. I mean, I'm not one to, one to sit there and say, I'll wait. I, I'm so sporadic and, yeah. and irrational when it comes to <laughs> buying cameras. Well, it's the same with a lot of things too. Like the, um, it, it also depends on where you're willing to look. Like, uh, you know, eBay sellers are savvy enough usually that they'll look at what the going rate is for completed auctions. And so even if they know nothing about cameras, they price, yeah. they'll price something where they see it being bought. And if that is what people are paying for it, yeah. then fair enough to them. Um, but if you go off the beaten track and you find some of the, you know, the local shops that happen, happen to have uh, their stock listed online, but no one knows they exist, you can, right. you can find some good deals or like I, when I'm, when I'm get to travel and I find any of those antique malls or, or charity shops or anything like that, I always look cause you never know what you're going to find. And I think yep. you, yeah. you've, uh, you've talked, you've, uh, you've had, uh, Linus on the show, haven't you? Yeah. 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 So yep. Linus and Linus and I are good friends and he, you know, just this, this past weekend, he was in Tennessee making some videos and, um, and stopped in an antique mall and found two Nimslows and a Nishika, um, for, <gasps> for, uh, and I think, well, no, I think he found those on, he found those on Facebook marketplace, but like, again, locally, it was just someone selling three three yeah. D cameras for less than you'd buy one of them for. And, oh, um, goodness. and then he, yeah, he was in an antique mall and found an, uh, an Icon F2 for like 15 bucks and yeah i wow. saw that unreal right? and again it's so there the deals are out there because the only reason the prices are inflated is for the market who knows they want right one. exactly right. anyway we don't i'm sure that's enough uh, talking about the the financial market of of used camera sales for uh, for one episode <laughs> yeah we probably just bumped the prices up on I all know, these cameras exactly. again <laughs> but there are cameras I, I I try really hard to bite my tongue about when someone's hey, what's your favorite whatever? I have to go. Oh, should I even Ooh, say I that? Because say it. Yeah, yeah. it is wonderful, but it it might bump the price up because I've done yeah. that before, and my and friends of mine have 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 seen that effect before. I'm I'm good friends with George Muncie as well, who runs Negative Feedback. Yes, mm-hmm, yes. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we would all make fun of him for for that effect uh, years ago when the you know the first year or two of the channel, especially, he'd talk about a camera, and immediately the market would leap immediately and crazy you could just you knew it wasn't by chance you knew it was like his video launched and within two or three days like the prices had doubled should make a graph (laughs) of like the ups the upticks from his videos if he'd started a camera shop before like in the early days of that he could have totally done a bunch of insider trading but um But that's but such a smart idea. Yeah, I don't, I don't think he's ever benefited once from the from that effect of, of increasing the cost of cameras. So, um, it, you know, too it funny. Happens. 
That's great that you uh, mentioned him. How did how did you guys get linked up, and how did you star in so many of those wonderful videos? Yeah. Well, uh, so I, I mean, the early in the early days of negative feedback. Um, I mean, I, I think the way the way George told me the story was that the inspiration originally for negative feedback came from one or two photo walks that uh, he and I and a couple other people who who were mutual friends had just gone on around London. Because uh, I mean, there's there's a massive age difference between us, but my, my creative circles <laughs> in London spanned span like a good twenty years worth of people who mm-hmm. are just all it's creative great. and doing all the same stuff. Yeah, there's very little that. age barriers that I've seen in that London uh, or in my corner of the London crew, at least, uh, not just in photography, but photography design and and cinematography and filmmaking. And so I was I was actually on a I was a guest on a podcast that uh, a now friend of mine, Harry Hitchens was running. He ran two seasons of this podcast called Filler. And this is going back five, six years, uh, probably five, five and a half years at least. And I was on an episode of that. And George was a friend of Harry's and George was doing the behind the scenes photos while they were recording the podcast because it was oh, all, cool. it, all oh, wow. in, per- in person in London. And that was it. And like one of after we'd recorded that podcast, we we all like I had my film camera with me and Harry had one of his. And so we just like went for a walk afterwards because it was a nice day and the the chats that happened through that and then another one that that we'd kind of gotten together with a few other people on a separate day to do that's what kind of inspired negative feedback to begin with was this idea of like just film being this casual thing and a conversation so if you look back at all of his original episodes uh Mm -hmm. george always had someone else along with him to talk about a camera or a film or something else. And that was the whole thing. It was just a conversation and it was a conversation between friends about film photography. And I think that's also what made it such a big hit in the beginning is that it wasn't about really about gear. It it was, it was, you know, that the gear and the, or the, the film or the technique was just the excuse for getting together and having some fun and having a chat. It's the best, the best. Yeah, and and so ver- I think the first episode that I was actually on after uh, uh, was back in in the uh, late uh, like fall 2016, and um, and it was just by chance I'd come back. I'd just come back from San Francisco. Uh, I'd been out there for the iPhone 7 launch because uh, I'd been doing some work with Apple. And George kind of messaged me and said, uh, "Oh, hey, uh, we're Louis and I are, are going to film a, an episode." I th- he was. I think he, he was either saying today, and I got like no, oh, that's awesome, or it was going to be the next day. But I think it was that day, and uh, he's, you know we're going to do some low light, you know, p- photography pushing black and white film. And at that point, I had never pushed film before. I did. I knew about it, but I just mm-hmm. I'd never I'd never gotten to that point of experimenting with it. Which is funny now because like I push black and white film as a rule, and yeah. I push <laughs> color. I push color film. I even push slide film now. Like I'm. I just I'm all in on manipulations. But uh, and again, sometimes you just need an you need an excuse, mm-hmm. and otherwise you don't try a new thing. And and so I just said I said yes, and I just bought a new camera um, while I was in San Francisco. Found one that I had on my list for a couple of years, and found a good deal on it. I needed a lens for it, so like I said, yeah. But we just we'll have to when we before we start filming, we just have to run to this camera shop <laughs> so I can buy a lens. I found they have one at a good price, and that's literally the beginning of the video. Is us? I think I think it's as I'm loading film in that camera shop, maybe. Because oh, cool. um, I, I also had to buy a strap for it. Like it was just, it was one of those things where it was just slapped <laughs> together, and we had so much fun. I, I've still some of those shots that I took that night because um, we pushed HP five and we pushed um, JCH four hundred Japan Camera Hunters mm. film, and uh, and that was the first one. And then we we just had so much fun that we did a couple more on various um, topics. So that yeah, it was just 
I love doing stuff like that. And the thing with me is that I'm always, I'm always willing to say yes. A lot of people are, I think, get nervous at the idea of being on camera. And mm -hmm. I've not spent a ton of my life on camera, but I've spent a lot more of it than most people have. Yeah, yeah. Especially in the last five, six, seven years, uh, whether it's for clients or doing uh, hosting events or, or, or doing promotional videos or Skillshare classes, whatever it happens to be. Uh, but I've also been on stage as a, as a singer since I was about 12. So that's really the thing that I've been a public speaker in the design community since 2006 or seven. Uh, and, I, and I've, again, I've spent probably 30 years of my life on stage in front of audiences. So the idea of doing that, I, like, I'm not afraid of making a fool of myself, basically. <laughs> it's like, I just, I know I'm probably going to, and that, as long as you're okay with that, you can, you can just, leap at stuff and say, yeah, yeah, sure. I'll do that. Oh, you need someone to help you out the last minute. Yeah, no problem. Let me do that. <laughs> and, um, so yeah, no, that, that kind of stuff is, um, it, it's been a lot of fun for me. And I, I've, I mean, I even got last October, I was up in, uh, in New York for, um, PPE photo uh, plus expo. Mm -hmm. And, and I was doing a couple of things with, with Ilford while I was there. And then, uh, and I'd been, I've been talking with the folks at Intrepid Camera about a few things, uh, because love I, those I, guys. I love, yeah, they're, they're a great team. And I just, I've been a fan of their, of their cameras and what they're doing to introduce people to, for, to large format. Same, I, same yeah, here. And, um, and so I knew they were going to be there and I was like, oh, great. You know, we haven't been able to meet in person, even though I'm in London and you're in Brighton, like let's meet in New York. And at the last <laughs> minute they said, they kind of said, oh, hey, uh, uh, what do you think about doing uh doing a video with with willem we, we're gonna do like this the first episode of this peel pals where we shoot you know fuji fp100 film on uh, our cameras and, and i said yeah sure so it's the you know we threw together something on roosevelt island and it was and it was brilliant it was a lot of fun and you know it's it was it felt it felt uh it felt a lot more like those early negative feedback videos where it wasn't it wasn't really planned it wasn't too coordinated the idea is just for it to be light and not yeah. not super serious. That being said, do you have any plans to start your own little YouTube channel? People have been asking me that for years, and I, I don't. <laughs> I'm sure. It, I mean, YouTube's time consuming, so well, you know. that, that's the thing. I mean, and, well, anything good is time consuming, and mm -hmm. I I have my fingers in a lot of different pies already between physical products that I'm working on, with, you know, collaborations with with uh, other makers, design work that I'm that I'm doing on my own products primarily, but then also client work and, uh, lots of teaching. Well, prior to this whole pandemic thing, um, mm -hmm. I had a, I had such a full schedule this year, uh, through, through the, the late summer with a uh, new workshop series that I was starting, um, some travel, um, a series that I was kicking off and physical products that were going to be launching and other things. Mm -hmm. So it's just one of those things that I I've, I've known that I haven't had time to do YouTube the way that I want to do YouTube. And I think the, the thing is, I've, had, I've got a couple yeah. of different series ideas in my mind for years, but they would require a lot of time and not just a lot of time. They would, they would require a budget to do. Yeah. And that, that turns it into a different prospect. And I don't want to do that. The reason is I don't want to do what anyone else is doing, but I don't want to do anything that's even close to what anyone else in the space is doing. Cause it would be, it would be around photography. Uh, I wouldn't do kind of a YouTube on design. I don't think, but yeah, so maybe that one could be day, cool. maybe one day, but, but honestly, like I'm, I'm, I'm putting, um, I'm putting so much of my time into trying to do filmmaking that's on a, on a different scale away, uh, not in the YouTube area, you know, first starting with documentary work and, uh, and also kind of slowly working on ideas for, for short narrative films. And, uh, and that is super, super time consuming, even before you start filming. <laughs> and yeah. so I, I kind of, there's just, there, there are just only so many hours. <laughs> 
<laughs> so I'm, I think I'm for the time being, I'm happier to just like with a podcast, like I would love to run a podcast. I, I ran a, mm -hmm. a, a, a part time kind of podcast. 12, 13 years ago uh, with a buddy of mine in California. And uh, that was when no one was doing podcasts. Yeah. And it was super time consuming back then. And I yeah. just think, you know what, I'd, I'd rather be, I think for YouTube and podcasting, um, if I can be a guest and contribute to conversations or, or every once in a while I've done, I've been like a, um, you know, a guest host for some. Oh, that's cool. Um, cool. That's and, a good idea. and I yeah. love doing that. I love doing that as well. And it allows me to feel like I'm part of that these various movements, but I don't have to, you know, for me, I, I like, I don't have to own the thing. I, I, yeah. I like being, I like participating. And if I, if I can be of help to people, then that ticks enough boxes for me. So yeah, I'll leave yeah. YouTube to the people who are killing it on YouTube. <laughs> so you said you had all this stuff lined up before the COVID epidemic mm. hit. What do you, what have you been doing to fill your time since, since you've just been kind of sitting in Florida? Mm. Um, well, amazingly, I, I feel like I've somehow been busier than I w would have been otherwise, which isn't actually true. It's just the fact that, you know, our brains are in this weird, uh, yeah. you know, pandemic mindset where um, things just take things fill up our brain much yeah, more quickly, yeah. I think. Um, but but I, I the, you know, the first two weeks were because uh, I got stuck here. I was I was on a family visit for two weeks. And the day I was scheduled to fly out, I kind of realized that all of my plans for the next few months were probably going to get canceled. Mm. And and I just, I, I kind of went, mm, uh, let me just, let me just move my flight back to London and see if I, and cancel the couple of flights and trains for the next few weeks, uh, because those events aren't happening. Cause I was going to be flying to London. I was there for two days, for not even a day. I was going to go straight to the photography show in Birmingham, run a photo walk there and then speak the next day and mm -hmm. then fly to Iceland for another conference. Like uh, I was just boom, 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 wow. like all over the place. And I kind of just I pulled the plug on it rather than have things canceled on me. Yeah, yeah. And and within two weeks, everything had actually been canceled, and there was it was very clear that nothing was going to happen. But so I I was here for two weeks, and I thought I'd be able to go back. I didn't have much stuff with me. Um, I I certainly wasn't prepared to. I mean, I've been here three months now, just over three months. <laughs> yeah. Been stuck. Wow. I've been stuck here three months. Uh, and so the first the first couple of weeks, I I didn't know how long I'd be here. So I I kind of said, okay, well. I've been just traveling nonstop for months and months and months, and there are a lot of things that I've wanted to start doing that need just need time in one place. So, mm -hmm. and one of those things was starting to do home developing, which I've done. I've developed a handful of roles over the years, but never like I've been just on the go so much that I uh, it's been impractical to have my own mm -hmm. setup. And and so I thought, okay, well, this has been on my list, and I was going to be starting it in a few months anyway. So why don't I just do it now. Yeah. And so I bought, I placed a massive order with B&H and just ordered a bunch of <laughs> different chemicals and bottles and, and things. And so I started doing that um, and getting into camera scanning, which has actually been, that's and it, the, the two of those things have taken up quite a bit of my time because I've been also kind of, uh, a, my design teacher brain has been looking at all of the instructions that are out there for, for things, everything from the camera scanning and it's set up and, and conversions once you get that scan into digital and, and developing and processing and just finding little, I've, I've basically been, been doing copy editing for all the instructions that I find for all this <laughs> stuff, seeing why are all these things just slightly inconsistent everywhere? This yeah, is, this is not, yeah. if I, oh, wow. if, if I was a beginner who had no understanding of it, I would feel very lost because I feel kind of lost and I know what all this stuff is. And so I've also, I, I've kind of taken on these side projects of putting together 
like trying to compile all the right information and see uh, see if there's a way that I can work with the companies that are putting a lot of this stuff out and say, hey, can we just kind of align this a little bit more so it's mm-hmm. not as confusing for people? And that's been kind of fun uh, because that's my, that's my product design brain. Uh, I, I, I'm in the process of starting a couple of companies um, to in design and to do, do things that basically uh, you need just time to, to work mm-hmm. on. Um, while all the other stuff is on hold. And I've been, um, I, I don't know, I've, I feel like I've been doing a lot of stuff. I've been inching forward a lot of projects that were product design related that were already underway, but have just like, they're going through molasses right now. Um, <laughs> and, and I'm investigating a lot of, just a lot of little tiny new, new things. Um, so some of them are just for fun. Like I've, uh, I can't send any of my cameras out for service while I'm stuck here. So uh, I've been working with my main service tech in the uk uh piero who runs uh, ppp repairs and he's he's excellent okay, yeah, a lot of people, yeah 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 he's 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 quickly become one of the most used in in europe and uh, and he and i are starting to work together properly like officially this summer i'm going to start being kind of creative director for for ppp going forward we've got oh, some products nice. that we're That's designing awesome. for for photographers for for people who who have old old film cameras and do we're doing got all sorts of interesting things coming up on there but so cool. i've also i've also set up a little uh, workshop here for uh with his advice kind of saying okay what tools do i need to <laughs> to like dismantle a lens and clean some fungus oh, wow. off and like how do i replace i've done light seals so that's that's easy but how do i do a cla on my m6 you know it's <laughs> <laughs> man so yeah and and, and all of those things plus Plus, just stuff because I'm, I'm I'm here. I'm staying with my mom, and I've, this is the longest period of time that I've been staying with family uh, since I uh, since I left home. Um, so it, it's a really long time. So I've also been doing lots of projects around the house, and I've been spending time with uh, with my mom and my brother and his family because I've got That's two, great. two nieces and a nephew, and they live 15 minutes away. So yeah, the time just ends up being filled. Mm-hmm. But uh, but it's all yeah. Somehow I've managed to feel like I'm busier. As I said, I have my fingers in a lot of pies, and I think I've managed to have more pies. <laughs> and I haven't, your... e- I haven't even gotten to baking sourdough yet. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's your like cr- creative brain, though. Like, I oh, feel yeah. like a lot of us creatives are like, okay, cool, idle time. Well, let's go into, let's do these things I've never gotten a chance to do before. Yeah, yeah. So that's like really cool. Well, um, I, I think a lot of people have responded to the extra time on their hands in the same way. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's different. You know, I work for myself, so I've and I've spent my life doing that. I started working for myself at sixteen, and my brother and I ran a creative agency for about fifteen years as well. But wow, so my entire work experience <laughs> is is made up of having to do everything myself. So I don't, mm-hmm. like, I, 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 I'm very bad at sitting around waiting for people to come and ask me to do something. If they do, <laughs> then I say yes. But, so yeah. I, but I'm also generating stuff for myself. So, I mean, I've also been working with a, a charity. I mean, I nearly completely forgot. It's like, what about, oh, I've been doing this stuff with, with this charity, 100 cameras in New York. Um, I've been working with them a lot on, on some things these last couple of months. And we've got a big workshop that we're doing uh, this week, um, for an outside organization. So there's, there's like loads of stuff. And I'm, as I said, I say, yes, I'm the first person to say yes to stuff. And I've still been doing little bits of music because my, my quartet is, even though we can't be like meet up together physically, because the other two guys are up in, I sing with my brother. He's one of the, the four. And then, uh, uh, the other two guys are up in Hershey, Pennsylvania, and we're working on figuring out how we can record a virtual yeah. al- album because oh, yeah. we've got, cool. the, got the tech for it. <laughs> I was just going to ask, yeah. where can we uh, download your, your stuff? Well, there is stuff. You'll be able to find stuff on YouTube if you uh, if you look for it. There are like live <laughs> performances and stuff. So we're we're gonna try to. If you look up um, 
if anyone wants to hear, I don't really spread it around because it's like for me, it's like this separate life that has nothing yeah, to do yeah. with the mm. photographic or design life. But uh, yeah, the current quartet's name is Throwback. And um, it's actually been around for, for just for about 10 years now um, in a couple of different formations. And there, there are videos on YouTube um, uh, and they're all live performances. And so the audio is not always the best, but it's a really good sense of, of what that kind of thing looks like. It's a, it's a barbershop quartet, right? But that's but amazing. In a, in, yeah. a, in a modern form. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, yep. Yeah, just an, just another one of my lives that I live. Then <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to, to take you back a little bit. I read that you were like an early adopter to Instagram. Is that true? What's the yes. story with the beginning of Instagram and you? That, that again, roundabout story that, uh, ties into photography and why I, I was able to, to start. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Start working as a commercial photographer, um, but w the way I came to Instagram was because of my reputation as a designer. Um, mm. I, I was in the very earliest days of, of the iPhone supporting mm -hmm. apps. I was getting asked uh, by by app designers and developers to, to kind of beta test their apps and give them feedback on the interfaces. And some of them would be uh, actual clients who would engage me to do that. And uh, but other times it would just be apps that I thought were interesting. And then I, you know, they'd say, "Oh yeah, we'd love if you." kick the tires mm -hmm. on this. And Instagram kind of happened that way where uh, a good friend of mine who was uh, at the time was a designer at Harvard. Uh, he he was already beta testing uh, Instagram, but I don't even think it was called Instagram at that point yet. Wow. In the beta. It was before, Interesting. This yeah. was before it was released. And he tweeted because I'm, I'm an early adopter for everything. So I like I've been on Twitter since 2006. Right. Like the, the, it's for, wow. its first year. And mm -hmm. and uh, uh, Twitter is great for discovery for those kind of things. And he, he tweeted the icon, which back then was like a front on Polaroid, like mm -hmm. the white plastic. Yeah, um, yeah. I remember that. SX-70. And um, and he tweeted and I knew what the camera was because I by that point yeah. I was a camera geek. <laughs> and he said he, he was just like he tweeted the icon and said something like cryptic, like playing with something really fun. And I just replied to him and said, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I need to be in on it yeah and yeah. He, at that time i was the guy in in my design circles at especially at conferences around the u.s who i was the guy that people would ask for advice 
on photography because by that point I was two or three years in and I was really reverse engineering the whole process. I was learning everything I could about the physics of light and about the way cameras worked. Ah. And so designers who were playing around with cameras would ask me because it would be like, oh, Dan knows, ask him. So yeah. Patrick, my buddy at Harvard, he uh, he messaged Kevin and, and Mike, who were at that time, like they were the founders of Instagram, but it was just them. And he said, oh, you should really invite Dan. Like he actually knows what he's doing with photography. And that's how I got on the beta. And it was it was maybe a month and a half or two months before it launched publicly. So, which wow. I mean, it's coming up this, I think, August or September. Yeah, August will be 10 years since that happened, wow. which is insane. Wow. And it and of course, when it launched it, I ended up being one of a very small number of people who were already on the platform. There were like 30 or 40 yeah. people maybe by by the time it so launched. Crazy. And uh, and my work was actually featured on the iTunes banner mm -hmm. in the iTunes store yeah. when it launched. And it was just by, by chance, but because I was already traveling, uh, I was traveling the world already for uh, design conferences and I was kind of part-time living in the UK by then as well. So my Instagram feed was already a travel photography feed, even though it wasn't that good. Wow. Um, it was better than a lot of the rest. And then I just started things to snowballed from there because all that attention started to get focused on on this new platform and i was one of a few people who would get recommended to others and yeah. whose work was kind of better than some of the others who were just beta testers from the tech industry and uh, yeah it was a lot of dumb luck was involved with everything that came <laughs> afterwards that's um, great yeah but it, it, it's it's um it's such a strange thing to look back on because none of the none of the connections that i made that allowed me to become uh, a photographer who got paid to take pictures would have happened in the in the way they did or in the time scale that they did if not for Instagram and all the attention that I got because wow. of that. And I mean, I th that's it, that just shows you how ludicrous uh, uh, life can be sometimes because there, there are people I know who are so immensely talented and no one knows about. And it's yeah. you know, talent has nothing to do with it. I keep telling people. That. I mean, it's you've got to be talented to be able to do the work, right? But talent does not mean that you'll get discovered in any kind of way. Mm -hmm. And you can't, you almost can't control being discovered and noticed. It, it's, you've just got to be ready for when an opportunity comes along that allows you to convert that opportunity into something else. And you also yeah. have to know what it is that you want to convert that into. Like I already knew before Instagram became a thing, I was loving photography so much as a hobby that I was telling people that like in three to five years, I, I wanted to be making part of my income from it. And they they would ask me, oh, well, how? And I said, I don't know how, but I, but it's like three to five mm. years. Like a lot, a lot mm -hmm. can happen in three to five years. And in that time frame was what, when Instagram became a thing, and that that time frame worked for me. But it was only because I knew that I wanted that to be something before the opportunity came up. Mm. And so when the opportunity came up, I was ready to go. Oop, this is this is it. This is the brass ring that I have to grab onto. And it's crazy to think like if you weren't on it. Twitter at that time and like had scrolled by and didn't notice, you know, it's just like stuff like that is uh, so crazy. To well, me. You, you know, the movie Sliding Doors, right? N no. Gwen, Gwen Paltrow and I forget who else was in it. Gwen, it's a Gwen Paltrow th film. And it's I, I think about it all the time because it's a go go watch Sliding Doors. Yeah, it's a, it's yeah. a wonderful film. It's a little heartbreaking, but it's wonderful. And it's all about those those moments in life that mm -hmm. we never know, we never realize that there's like a fork that where we could have gone the other way yeah. and our life would have been completely right. different, but, but they happen all the time. And when you get a chance to look back and like you said, when you, when you get that opportunity to go, wow, 
if I hadn't seen Patrick's tweet, mm-hmm. if I hadn't gone on it, gone Twitter in 2006, yeah, like four years previously, right? Wow. If I hadn't, there are so many ifs that um, that it, it's uh, as I said, it's it's ludicrous. It's just the 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 fact that I'm sitting here chatting with you is because <laughs> yeah. I decided to get on Twitter in October or November of 2006, right? Like that's wow. the connection that runs wow. all the way back to that in a way. And, uh, but, uh, you know, the, that's the thing with hindsight, it, it all makes sense. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and it, it almost never makes sense at the time because we can't predict what's going to come of something, but it's why we always have to be just open to whatever, whatever might come our way. And uh, I, I try to teach people that as much, as much as I can, because that's really the only reason that I've done anything I've done in my life is that I've been open to things and uh, mm. I'm willing to explore and make mistakes and may, maybe have something not be for me. But I, I rarely discount something before trying it. I like the idea of you said you're like you always say yes. And I, I've tried to adapt that in my in my life because, you know, we, we can always be like, oh, I don't I don't know. I, I not, not not me. I, I, I don't know. But now you just got to be like, yeah, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then yeah. we'll see. And figure it out because one thing leads to one thing. And like you said, like, exactly. Boom, boom, boom. And here we are now. And we're, we're glad you're here with us, Dan. That's for sure. Well, and even, <laughs> even a lot of stuff like, um, I was just thinking, like, I, I pulled out a couple of things just to sit next to me in case they, in case they came up. But, you, you know, it, a combination of the, you know, what have you been doing during the pandemic? Like this, like isolation of not being able to travel and not being able to do other things, but also what we're just talking about, about being, just being open to trying new things that maybe I wasn't thinking about before. They don't have to be big things, but like, I'd never considered bulk loading my film before. Ah, yeah. And, yes. and, and Me, I, I still have it. <laughs> it's like, I just, well, I, I, whenever I'd heard people talking about it, I thought, oh, that's, why would you do that? That seems like a pain in the, pain in the ass. Like, like it's just, <laughs> I, I just want to buy the film and put it in my camera. And yeah. I mean, I understood the, the, the economics of it, but I was like, yeah, but it's going to be time consuming and then you've got to, uh, whatever. It just seemed like too much of a fuss. And especially on my pace and traveling the way I was. So, but being stuck here, I just happened to see a friend's uh, Instagram story where he was uh, he he was like bulk loading, and it, it, like it, we, I didn't know he bulk loaded. My friend Jahan in uh, he runs uh, Do You Develop? Um, okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's fantastic black and white photographer uh, among other things, and um, and I didn't know he bulk loaded. And we were going to be starting ru- working a uh, running a series of travel four by five workshops this year, right? And for some reason, bulk loading thirty five mil had just never come up in our discussions, and so <laughs> he sent me. He was like, "Oh yeah, it's great," and he told me about it. And I like that day, I I found this this old version of the loader on on eBay, bought it, bought like a tin of Fomapan, and like and wow. that, and like. And hmm. now I'm I'm geeking out over I'm like oh cool I can load like a 10, 10 exposure roll and like practice pulling or pushing or oh, in a see. weird way or yeah. I can... that, that's that's the benefit right there and just the fact that I I was like well I have the time now so anything that I have the time for and the space for now I may as well say yes to even if I was saying no to it before and yeah. so that, I think that's another critical part of it is that we will all we no matter how open you are we all make judgments that even if they're snap judgments of going, I don't have time to do this right now. And then we block it out and we forget about it. So being, being willing to change your mind on things mm-hmm. and go, oh, I was closed to that before, but I'm going to be open to it now. Even that can be a, can be a super powerful thing. Uh, and I think For you sure. have to be, if you're a creative person, you have to know where your lines are to, to, mm-hmm. to format your own voice and your own view of things. But you also have to be willing to accept when that voice might need recalibrating oh man yes so true it's such a i mean it's tragic as this time 
has been mm-hmm. for everyone. It's it's I think it was well needed for I mean, especially like I was working a full time job for the last like same place for the last eight years. I needed this like three month break from being at this place every day and giving myself a chance yeah. to say <laughs> yes to things or explore yeah. like mm-hmm. things that I've wanted to get into and, and just haven't had the time or the the desire because, you know, working really wears you out sometimes. So yeah, <laughs> but having this time was was well needed. And it completely changed my outlook on things like I hope my boss isn't listening but you know I'm probably probably (laughs) probably not going back there so it's 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 just crazy like how just a little bit of time like that if you give yourself some some space to to spread your wings and just kind of learn new things and I don't know it's really good I'm glad we touched on this topic today yeah we'll be right back with a listener question for Dan right after this message from our sponsor Support for Analog Talk comes from Polaroid. Use the promo code ANALOGTALK10 on your first purchase on film at Polaroid.com. All right, guys, this is the part of the show where we break off and take a question from one of our listeners. And this week's question comes from Skalkoff. And they wanted to know, what's your end goal? At the end of your life, what would you like to have achieved with your photography? Deep <laughs> it's uh, such a heavy question um i mean again it can get heavier right like i yeah. you, we have we have no idea when the end is going to be right exactly so, um which which i know is going really dark as a way to start the answer but um that's one of the way, that's one of the things that i th- i kind of think about with every creative decision that i make and every tr- change of direction that i make in my life as a creative is it's got to be playing for me into you know, a mixture of, of a short-term gain is, you know, if I'm, if I kind of want to experiment and see where something's going, then it's, it's in the short term. And it's only, only after that experimentation that I understand whether it can play into something bigger that can be long-term and the long-term it, you never really have a really good handle on it. Uh, other than generic things, like as a designer, I want to make the world a better place, but that's like, mm. You know, so at the end, you know, if someone wants to write something on my tombstone about how how <laughs> how I was a designer, I you know I hope they say something about you know he made the world a better place, right? He left it better than mm. he found it. But even that to me isn't that's not a goal you work towards because that's not a very like of course as a designer you want to make things better. So that's not it's not specific enough. And with a, with photography, it's kind of the same for me because I want to make some sort of impact, but I don't know what that impact is yet because I get pulled as a photographer in so many different ways. You know, I, I really love documenting things. I love doing uh, behind the scenes uh, work for filmmaker friends of mine. I think that's just, mm. it's just amazing to kind of capture work in progress when something else, some yeah. other type of art is being made, especially. Uh, but I also like properly documentary work and I'm working on doing more of, of that myself because that, that feels like it has meaning and whatever meaning is still a kind of a fuzzy definition but it i think for me the everything that i do has to mean something to other people mm. as well as to me uh, i'm very uh, driven by external motivation and i've been that way even when i was a competitive swimmer in my teens like i i, I showed up to practice because i didn't want to let my coach down not because i loved <laughs> swimming that much that i that i, yes. that I was addicted yes. to it <laughs> right i stopped competitive swimming when my coach left the team it was like yeah all right fine don't need to do this anymore so i know that i'm very extrinsically motivated and and with art art is something that i'm still getting into because i've been i've been a functional creative for a lot of, for most of my life what i mean by that is is it, like very purpose driven um, 
solving problems for other people. So as a, as a designer, I've been mostly working mm. for clients. So that's very different than art where I'm even, even when you're commissioned as an artist, you're commissioned to do your own thing. When you're commissioned as a designer, you're commissioned to solve someone else's problem. Someone else has identified that problem, or they've mostly identified the problem. They want you to identify the specifics and then come up with a solution. Mm. And as a musician, I've been very much in the same way as well. I'm not a composer. I'm not an arranger. I take other people's compositions or, or arrangements, and then I'm either a director of a chorus, and I I help interpret that and teach the chorus how to sing it and how to how to convey emotions through it. But I haven't created the artwork. I'm creating a representation of someone else's artwork, and so I've seen much of my even my photo photography career has been kind of at least half of that, where it's because I don't have a fully established style visually in an artistic way, I art direct as, as a designer where I, I, I'll like say, I'll say, uh, what is the most appropriate solution for this brand's problem? What does this mm. brand's work look like? Mm. Okay. I'll adjust my photographic style to match that brand's look. And that's not how a lot of photographers work. And the, the agents that I, that I've been represented by for the last few years, uh, they, they get incredibly frustrated by that because <laughs> I, I'm very hard to sell in that way. So I'm, I'm kind of in this place still, you know, again, 13, 12, 13 years after picking up a camera, but probably seven years after starting to do commercial photography work where I'm, I'm still working out what my, what is it that I'm trying to put out there? I know what I'm getting from it, but I could, I could very happily be a photographer and never look at my pictures because the thing that I personally get hmm. out of photography the most is hunting for the picture and and up to the moment where I've captured it. And it's like, I've gone three, four months sometimes without developing film where I've just got like a bag of stuff and people are like, can't you just, can't you wait to see it? I'm like, no, I know I got the, I know the shots I got. I'll see them. I'll be really happy with them, but it's such a separate part of that process for me. <laughs> and so, because that's where it stops for me, I'm more interested in getting pictures developed and printed to show other people and for other people to like, which oh, is a weird wow. relationship wow. that I don't like, but it's very similar, I guess, to, to the music for me, I, because I don't compose music, I my my entire musical life has been preparing music for performance. So it doesn't exist. I don't exist as a musician without an audience. Like that, what there would be no point for the type of music that I do without having an audience mm -hmm, to prepare mm -hmm. for and perform for. And so my photography has been very much like that um, in, in a way. And I've I've been spending a lot of my my thinking time. And my research time in the last three, four years, especially figuring out what that next step's going to be. And this does play into answering this question, because what I want that without having an answer to to what my next step is going to be, I can't answer this listener's yeah. question, yeah. which is. Yeah. But I, I know I have to, because what I want is to be able to have some sort of impact with my photography and whether that means. I don't actually mind what it is, to be honest, as long as it's a positive impact, as long as it's so if that ends up being that I do a lot of documentary work and that helps tell stories that wouldn't have been told otherwise, that would be sufficient. If if my photography somehow ends up inspiring other people to take up photography or to or to do something that someone else hadn't done or had never suggested to them before, then that would be sufficient. And the likelihood is it'll be a combination of those things. But I. I I, I kind of think a lot of the time uh, I hear other photographers get asked about, like, what do you want your legacy to be, right? That particular mm -hmm. word, legacy. And that always strikes me as, as a bit strange because I don't think you – if you look at Cartier-Bresson's legacy, 
and then you read everything Cartier-Bresson wrote or said in an interview, it doesn't seem like he, he wasn't working toward the legacy he's left. <laughs> yeah. He was doing something. He was, his mission was very different than his legacy. Hmm. The legacy is what other people see as a result of what it is that you're putting out into yeah. something. And it's like, it's like no one, no one on earth should ever call themselves a visionary, right? Someone else <laughs> at, right. after you do something really cool and amazing then other people get to call you a visionary, but it yeah. doesn't yeah. work the other way around. So, so it would be like asking someone, you know, like, what do you, you know, uh, what do you want to be known as a visionary for? It's like, uh, what? what? It's just a bit <laughs> weird. So, uh, and I'm, so none of this to wrap this up. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying this to dodge the question. I, I want there to be an impact, but at, at the, at the end of everything, I just want there to have been meaningful output from it, whatever that whatever shape that takes, because the meaning in it will be for other people, not for me. The meaning that I get out of doing it, as long as I'm doing it, I will be getting everything that I need out of it, or I will be working toward figuring out whatever that next thing is that I need. And for me, that's going to be a constant iteration. I'm never going to be happy with what I've done. Mm. Um, I'm always going to be kind of trying to push onto something new and something interesting. And but that process is kind of what I love the most about the creative process is the being in it. Once you're done with it, it's kind of boring. You've got to go to the next thing. I hate yeah. finishing projects. Oh, like, I don't get, same here. Yeah, I, I don't get yeah. any kind of feeling of relief when a project is done. I get this kind of feeling of emptiness. So I, I, there are yeah. ways with a lot of my personal projects, I try to avoid finishing them, which is horrible. But um, <laughs> because I, I, I kind of, it's like a good book. It's like if you get a really good novel, and you know that you're coming closer to the end of it. Like I tend to slow down in my reading because I just don't want to yep. let those characters go. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to leave that world just yet. Um, so yeah, I, I hope that gives some sort of answer in the uh, toward that question. But it's a great question, just super super deep. Yeah, <sighs> I think that's super relatable answer too. Yeah. I think a lot of us one hundred percent can relate to. Yeah. And then ectochrome. Sorry, ectochrome. Yeah. I made the same. <laughs> yeah. I, made, I made the same mistake. Uh, do I think Kodak should bring back? So I've had a lot of conversations about this, even with some folks at Kodak. And b because I, I mean, it's a funny thing, right? It, all you have to do is Google to, to see Kodak's official response 16 times on this. And, and it's that like, they can't make it. Yeah, um, and, yeah. and, it, and, 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 and if you question that, then you just need to Google a little bit more to find the results that tell you why they discontinued it in the first place. And you go, oh, yeah, mm. they, they can't make these chemicals anymore. Like this was a horrible process. It was a horrible for the environment. Right. Great result. Really, really bad for the earth. Uh, and yet yeah. it's people keep asking the question. And I know the, talking about, <laughs> yes. I, I've got I've got yeah. friends at Kodak and they get this question more than they get any other question. I believe it. I That's believe crazy. It. And, yeah. but the, well, but the reason is because Kodachrome looked like nothing else. And so here's another fear of missing out. So before I really knew what I was doing with cameras, but I was a, two years, I guess, into playing, it was the summer of 2009. So 2009 was the last year that Kodachrome was, was being processed by, um, uh, what was their name? They were in the States. Oh, was with it a like D. Dale's, Dale's camera Dale's. or something yeah, like that? I yeah, think it, yeah. it was either, it was Dale's or something like that. And they were in like, Kentucky or Kansas City or something. I think mm -hmm. it was Kansas City. And um, and again, like with the Polaroid, by that point, I was a couple of years in, I was playing with a lot of different cameras and I, I saw this news that they were discontinuing it. And this is like the last roll would be processed near the end of that year. And I said, I need to buy a roll or two and shoot <laughs> it. Just, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I want to be able to say, I, I did this. 
And, uh, and so I bought two rolls. I think I shot one of them and left the other one unopened. And I shot this a souvenir. Du- during a summer. Exactly. I, and I, I shot it in a, <laughs> during a summer in, uh, in the UK uh, that I spent in the UK in 2009 on a camera that I found there. I'd taken a bunch of like a weird mix of cameras along with me. But I'd you know, this just shows how 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 like open to experimentation I was, but I, but also <laughs> how far away I, I was from understanding anything, because what I should have done, I had my, my dad's old Nikon F. I should have just shot it on that because that would have been brilliant results. Uh. But instead, I found a Voigtlander Vitessa T, which is a gorgeous camera with a Ooh. plunger to wind. Oh, to yeah, yeah. The I've film. seen that guy. Yes, yes. Oh, uh, mm-hmm. it's just, it's honestly, it's a, again, I bought, I found it cheap in a charity shop for f- a fraction of what it should have <laughs> cost. It was in beautiful condition. It looks like something Johnny Ive would have designed for Apple. It's just got <laughs> yes. the most beautiful milled corners. And I thought, yeah, sure. This untested camera with a selenium meter, which I didn't know what it was back then, right? I didn't know how unreliable it was. I was like, I'll put my roll of Kodachrome through that. And very luckily, the meter worked. The pictures all turned out oh, pretty, good, good. pretty good. Yeah. But I mean, I didn't know what I was doing with any of this. I didn't know how to, I, like, I'm. it shows how resilient those cameras are, but also how, how great Kodachrome was that mm. I got exposures that looked decent out of that roll. And... Um, and and even that even that role like those colors are just gorgeous and and some of my some of my inspiration for color work is is like the four by five Kodachrome work from the 1940s from like the wartime press mm-hmm. shots which are just stunning and you can find that they're all available on either Flickr or or other sources because they're all open available to the public they're, um, uh, because they're government. U.S. government yeah. images yeah. they're wonderful resources and when Ektachrome was read renewed again long answers i told you i could fill up an hour with, okay. with like anything um when when ectochrome was re-released one of the things that i wanted to do was see how different the colors were from from the ectochrome that i'd shot a little bit of and also like whether it was closer to or further away from kodachrome because mm. it's like a lot of the reds and skin tones are like like yeah. that, it's the reds that that um kodachrome really makes look a certain way uh, but it's also the fact that a lot of kodachrome wasn't seen as the slide and it wasn't seen as a scan kodachrome was seen once it was converted to a cmyk print process which was a lot narrower color palette a, a smaller gamut and then it was printed in halftone on paper so we we have this mm. we have this weird not quite realistic yeah. idea of what kodachrome looks like and so i started messing around with ectochrome i guess i shot my first couple of rolls a year and a half ago in 35 mil in uh, in Copenhagen uh, for New Year's and and I shot I metered them horribly like I, I <laughs> it, my, my mistake for it like I, I was just I was mostly shooting negative film I hadn't shot slide film really that much and uh, uh, like occasional rolls but I just I put it in my camera and I and I just metered most of it metering for shadows like I normally would I just wasn't thinking and so mm. a, a few exposures came out okay but the rest of it wasn't I was just like man I left it alone yeah. for a few months and then in the summer. I, I I went to an exhibition in Brooklyn of uh, Gary Winogrand's work, mm. which is, again, stunning work from the 60s and yeah. 70s. And his color work is it was an exhibition of his color work and it was fantastic. But in the in the very first part of that exhibition, there was an old Kodak slide machine that they had loaded with his original slides. No projecting way. them, which you, which you never get to see. <laughs> right. And I'm looking at these slides from the 70s going. There's just a bulb behind these. There's no editing. There's no curve being applied. These are mm-hmm. the these are the slides, and they look like super contrasty wow. and really 
punchy. Like they look in a way that none of my slides had ever looked. And that started me on this journey. So I mentioned, uh, I mentioned earlier, I, like, I, I like pushing slide film now. And the next day after seeing that Winogrand exhibition, I put a roll of Provia, which is just what I happened to have with me on that trip. I put some Provia 100F in my camera and decided I was going to push it one stop and meter only for highlights. I said, you know what, because I'd looked at these pictures, these pictures of Winograns and I went, he's shooting these handheld in really contrasty light. There's no shadow detail. He at, he at least exposed for highlights, but they're so punchy and they weren't Kodachrome. They were like older Provia or Velvia or something. I, but I said, they're, they're so contrasty that I think he might've done a slight push. Mm-hmm. And, and it connected a dot for me that I had never thought of because I've never read about how – you don't read about how people processed the Kodachrome or their Provia no, or no. Ektachrome. You mm-hmm. just read about what the film was. And the results from that role blew me away. And I said – because they almost looked like slide film from the 60s or 70s. Damn. And all I'd done was over underexpose and push. And I got more detail in the shadows from the push than I would have otherwise. And that kind of that plus a conversation with my main lab in London about why that (laughs) happened. They said, oh, yeah, all the photographers 30 years ago, like they would all do a quarter stop push or a half stop push or a three quarter stop push. I'm like, wait, what? They would with their slide film. And and they said, yeah, the same stuff would happen with Kodachrome. Like, no, they said you know, people would oh, do whatever they had to do for, hmm. for the lighting that they had. Yeah. You know, if yeah. they had if they had Kodachrome uh, 64, they would shoot it as 200 if they didn't have any 200 left. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm, <laughs> I need to look at every picture I've ever seen before and, and look at it again. <laughs> yeah. And so I've started I, I went and started doing the same experiments over the last like, well, from from july june of last year like i was shooting and pushing slide film in all sorts of different ways and exposing in different ways to try and get a different look and all this is to say that with uh with these experiments what i started to see in certain lighting situations out of pushed ectochrome the new ectochrome was tones that started to shift closer to what you would feel would you'd get out of out of some kodachrome and they're not identical but i've actually got one of the projects that's been put on hold and now I'm like, anyone who listens to this podcast will be able to like try this project as well. But, but it doesn't matter. Like I don't, I don't, I'm never <laughs> precious about this stuff. It was an experiment, and I'll still run it. But I, with a cinematographer friend of mine in London, uh, who's uh, does some lighting for me, we we've started. We've got this mood board of all these old 1940s four by five Kodachrome shots, and we we we've started to tone map, and we think we can actually get really close to reproducing them Ooh. with the right lighting and the right tones in the image. So if we start to get like color, like the like outfits and clothing that have the right color dyes and, you know, the same mm. for, you know, we're going to look for kind of a color noir look to begin with and just say, let's see if we can, how close we can match this. But with him looking at it through his cinematographer lighting eye and me talking with my lab and knowing what my initial experiments have been, we're, we've realized we can like a lot of a lot of how Kodachrome looked was its process, but it was also how it was exposed, what the lenses yeah. were doing and what the, mm-hmm. those older coatings were doing or not doing and how they were developing and and then how they were printing because a lot of those images aren't scans from the, the, the slide, they're scans of prints. And um, so, so for all those people who really love the look of Kodachrome and wish they'd been able to shoot it and, and or, or shot it once and want it to come back, what I'd actually say is experiment more with ectochrome and don't take it at face value for what how it can be exposed how it can be metered how it can be Mm. developed even because there are 
one of the things that that this this kind of experiment and thought thought and shooting and and developing has taught me in the last year, I guess, is that there's a lot less experimentation on the chemical side of film photography now than there used to be as a rule, because people are just seeing something on YouTube saying, oh, great, Portrait 400. Oh, I exposed it at 320. Okay, great. And that's all they do with it. Yeah. Whereas, Mm -hmm. like, I, I, I push uh, Portrait 160. I love it at 160. But I love 160 pushed one stop, because it shifts all the blues in a way that you no other film stock. does. And I tell that to people who've been shooting 160 for years. And they're like, you what you push it? And I'm like, I, 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 I push, if you've never pushed Portrait 800, right, which is one of my favorite film stocks, it's also the yeah. most expensive film stock, but it, but Portrait 800 at 1600, uh, once, you know, but metering at eight, so metering one stop over like we would do for, for a lot of negative films, it sings, it's so good mm. already that that one stop push doesn't actually make it ugly or contrast or anything else. What it allows is street photography at F11 at handheld speeds yeah yeah without really heavy grain and you get a slight color shift but actually not as much as you'd think portrait 400 doesn't push well at all for me it turns its shadows like muddy and brown but unless you do these experiments for yourself Mm -hmm. unless you try all of these things you don't we're we're missing out on one of the great benefits of shooting film with which is that it is chemistry it is something you can mess with at the time of shooting and afterwards to get all sorts yeah. of different results. So, um, yeah. So the answer for the Kodachrome is I wish they'd bring it back. I know they can't, but yeah. what they, <laughs> what they are bringing back, we should just be happy for what they are bringing back and what they yeah. are making and experiment with it. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm once, once I can meet up with my cinematographer in London again, we are going to be doing this test. And if it, Dude, I can't, I can't wait to see this. Yeah. Well, try it yourself. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, you're right, that's you're right. There is and what and, and what you and all your listeners have learned today, which is what anyone else who has ever talked to me has learned, is that there is no short answer with Dan Rubin. <laughs> that's great. That's uh, that's the best part of a podcast. I love when we have guests on and they're just like, I might talk a little bit. Is that OK? It's like, no, please. Like, that is the <laughs> point. <That> is the- <laughs> well, I've, I've had you I've had you for uh, for for over an hour at this point, which is more than uh, <laughs> yeah. more than you bargained for. So um, we're, we're going to hit you with with one more oh, question. Well, there's there's two. Two, two, it's a two, two. It's a two-parter. Yeah. All right. So, so the, we call these the tough questions. So, <laughs> all right. It's the the old uh, the first half of the camera question is the desert island question. You know, Ooh. you can only take one. What's your favorite? What's your yep. favorite? You know, and there is a lab on the island. There's probably even some Kodachrome I'm... on the island too. So, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> yeah. Out of your fifty, which is the, which yeah. is the, the one, well, the main. I'm, I'm gonna. I'm gonna break the rule which is you know don't talk about the camera that um that you don't want everyone yeah. else to buy but <laughs> um but i also had it set out here the, um this is the one i bought right before that first episode of negative feedback with uh, with george it's the leica flex sl oh, and wow. it is just it's my favorite mechanical slr and it, because it's mechanical but it has these beautiful leica mm-hmm. r lenses and yes. for in leica terms it costs next to nothing mm-hmm. um yeah yeah and and it's it's kind of it's both a it's not a crime really because they shouldn't cost more but it shows yeah. how, how much <laughs> right. how much more expensive all that m world is mm-hmm. where the the rendering's the same like the the glass is the same they've been designed by the same people the optics are this basically it's all comes from the same place and the the sl the leica flex flex sl is essentially an m6 but an slr it's it's super oh, wow. well built over engineered it, it's fully mechanical. It has a shutter speed up to one two thousandth of a second, which is actually great. 
and um, and the only thing the battery runs is the light meter. So if the battery dies, you com- you still have a completely functional camera. You're set. So that's my answer there. Yeah, that's a that's a first for the show. That, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say I don't think we've ever seen that before. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So the second part of the question is the the white whale. Is there anything out there that you just haven't had a chance to get your hands on that you've always wanted to shoot? Um. Well, yes, <laughs> a whole load. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my my pause is like the the long list of those of the answers <laughs> mm-hmm. coming through my head. Uh, so one that I'd really really love to shoot, but I've I've almost intentionally avoided because I don't want to want to buy it because it's super expensive and it's the the Contax six four five. Um, which is is just i've held one once and i like quickly put it down because i was like oh this feels so good to hold (laughs) and i know they i owned it for a little while oh yeah and and you loved it i did i loved it but i bought it for shooting weddings and then when i moved out to la i shifted more towards like on-set photography so i wasn't using it but like (laughs) it's my like one like i I hate selling cameras (laughs) because i've regretted that that specific sale so much yep but it's it's a beautiful camera yeah Oh, there, yeah, um, just a stunning thing. I mean, I, and I, I love 645, and I, my main 645 camera is a Pentax 645N, and honestly, it's beautiful and gorgeous, mm-hmm. and it takes amazing pictures. Yeah. I don't need anything that costs three or four times as much that takes the same right. format, yeah. but it is a beautiful yeah. machine. And I, and there would be a, a runner-up would be, um, there are a handful of, uh, uh, of 8x10 cameras that I would just love to own, and, and mm-hmm. I came so close to order, owning a Deerdorf eight by ten and I and I passed on it because I already had one eight by ten and I was like I barely shoot this I literally do not need another eight by ten and in hindsight I should have bought that and sold the Toyo that sold I had the other, and oh. just because uh, there's just something so glorious about a wooden Deerdorf yes. um, and but and at the same time uh, I'll I tell myself the same thing I tell other people who go oh yeah I'm, I want to save up for a Leica and I'm like don't spend that money on film and developing like the, yeah. the camera's not going to make you a better photographer, really. Like right. it's, it might make you enjoy it a little bit more and in a different way and unlock different things, but it's it's not going to make it's not going to replace practice. And so for me, it's the same right. thing. You know, an eight by ten camera is already an eight by ten camera. It shoots the same sheet film as any other eight by ten camera and the same lenses too. So, uh, you know, yeah, there we go. And what was what was the other that so so that's the uh, oh, so that's the desert island and the white whale. Were those the two? That's the two. Yeah. Oh, cool, good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Great, that only, I, I'm just surprised that it only took like three minutes for me to answer those two. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, Dan, we we so appreciate you taking the time to hang out with us and chat about all this. This has been amazing. Where can everybody check you out on Instagram? Instagram is the Instagram is the main destination. I'm also on uh, on on Twitter as well. Which there's the if 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 any of your listeners haven't discovered photo Twitter. I mean, it's really like this subset of people who, especially film photography Twitter, it's like this wonderful community mm-hmm. who talk to each other a lot more than people talk to each other on Instagram. So, um, uh, yeah, Twitter, Instagram, it's I'm Dan Rubin on both. Of them. Awesome. awesome. Timothy, where are you at? Guys, head over to Instagram. Uh, it's at Timothy Makeups. I also make some film photography related YouTube videos. Easiest way to find them is just go to the search bar, you know, type in Timothy Makeups. You'll find a bunch of stuff there. Chris, where are you? So I am Chris B. Photo on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Uh, we are Analog Talk Pod on Twitter, Analog Talk Podcast on Instagram, and we have a Facebook page and a group you can like and join and share stuff there. So, yes. Dan, thank you, thank you, thank you. This is phenomenal. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. It's been a blast. Definitely. All right, guys. We'll, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. 
First off, we want to thank Dan for coming on the show. As Chris said, definitely a bucket list moment and so glad to have you for our 100th episode. Uh, it was an honor. Dan, uh, just keep killing everything you do. Like, we love it. Guys, it's going to take us to Patreon. Head over to patreon.com slash analog talk for even a dollar a buck. You can get the show two days early on Mondays on our Patreon. For all the Patreons who already help support the show, guys, we appreciate you guys so, 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 so much. We also have a bunch of stuff over there. We're doing Patreon exclusive after shows, just Patreon specials in general where we're having... We, we have these plans to get these former guests on. We're going to do like two guests at a time, and it's just going to be for you guys. So if that sounds like something you're interested in, head over to patreon.com slash analog talk. And until next week, guys, we will see you soon. Later. big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Say big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in store and on Menards.com. Save big money at when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.